pushback. But today, today's message we're going to look at is fifth pushback, which is I don't know what to say. Like, where do you even start? Like, how's it going? Have you heard about Jesus? Yes, I have. Good for you. I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, it's so awkward. I mean, how do we talk about this stuff? How do we have, like, I don't want to call it a normal, because how can it be a normal conversation when you're talking about a dead savior from 2,000 years ago, but as normal as possible. So today we're going to deal with, I, I don't know what to say. And please understand this. Being a pastor, being a leader does not make me any different. There's many times where I'm in a situation, I just sense the Holy Spirit is prompting me to speak to someone. And I'm like, but what do I say, Lord? I mean, like, he's like, you do this for a living. Yeah, I know, but like, this is kind of awkward. It's like, put me in front of a thousand people, no problem. One-on-one, it's scary. You understand what I'm saying? It's scary. And, And that doesn't really ever go away, I don't think, with time. But we do learn how to deal with it, right? That's what I focus on today. But where does this, like, what is in the heart? What is in the mechanics? What's under the hood of this pushback? Well, as we break it down, what we realize is what we're really saying when we, when we say we don't know what to say is that we feel pressure. We feel pressure to say the right things. It's almost like, man, if I don't say the right things in the right way, I'll get a wrong response. And I don't know how they're going to handle that. I don't know how I'm going to handle that. And so there's all these obstacles when it comes to sharing our faith. There's obstacles like the obstacle of inadequacy. Like we just feel like I'm just inadequate. Like I just... I, I'm not a, a, a loud person, a confident person, an extroverted person. I'm not an experienced person. A quali- I mean, we just have all these feelings of inadequacy. We also sometimes can feel untrained. Like we're talking about complex things here and things like, you know, history and geography and sociology and psychology and spirituality. It's like, man, I don't, I don't, like, I don't know if I can get into a conversation at that level, which means ultimately we feel unable. Because when we feel inadequate, we feel untrained, that leaves us feeling unable. Unable to do what we think we should do. And what that results in is that we kind of have this feeling of like we need to have something more than what's available to us. We feel like we have to be someone more than we are right now. And the truth is, is God doesn't need us to have something more. And God doesn't need us to be someone more. God calls us to witness. God calls us to be witnesses no matter who we are, no matter wherever we are. And for some of you in this place, God has brought you from other parts of the world. You came for work. You came for better opportunities. Your plan was to be here for a better life. God's plan was to use you to make this place a better world for people who are far from him. Yes, worth celebrating. Come on. So in essence, what are we saying? We're saying that you don't have to be a professional. You don't have to be qualified. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to be a biblical expert or scholar or pastor or theologian. God's not looking for professionals. He's looking for those of us who would make ourselves available. God doesn't need our professionalism. What he's looking for is our availability. When you read the book of Acts, which our series is based on, what you see, you see all these different kinds of people, men, women, rich, poor, different levels of socioeconomic influence, different backgrounds, some trained, some untrained, and the same Holy Spirit using all of them in their own way, in their own context to be a witness because the one thing they all share in common besides you know, following Jesus is they're available to be used by God. So the question we're asking, want to answer today is simply this: What do I say? I mean, how 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 do I how do I say my story? Like when it comes to being in a conversation and sharing the good news, what God has done to me, how do I say my story? Now, 
Heads up, if you're a list person, okay, if you're a list person, well, first of all, you're probably married to someone who isn't a list person. For some reason, God's got a sense of humor. So if you're a list person and you're like making lists and achieving lists and ticking off lists and something, something that brings you great joy is, is, the, is the achievement of completing a list, this is your message today because I'm going to give you a message, which is basically a list of lists, okay? A list of lists. So it's pretty straightforward. Uh, and what I want to do is I want to give you four ways. I want to make, th- make today really practical, okay? I want to make today really practical. I want to I I present it in a way that you can take it and put it in action in your life today. Like at Starbucks, like after service. I mean, I want to I be really practical. So how do we say our story? We need four things. Isn't it exhaustive? Isn't all things? Just four good things, four kind of foundational things. If we have them, we can be effective in sharing our story. We need preparation. We need personalization. We need passion. And we need prayer. Okay? Here we go. Number one, preparation. Well, it seems kind of obvious. It's good to be prepared in life, isn't it? I mean, how many of you have got into a meeting or a project or gone somewhere and not, not be prepared? I remember many, many years ago when I was trying to figure out, as I just finished primary school, I was getting ready to go to secondary school. My parents wanted me to go to this, this one school. I wanted to go to another school. They were thinking about my education. I was thinking about my friends. Anyone with me? <laughs> you know, because that's more important. And so my parents weren't really interested in my choice. Uh, but they allowed me to sign up for the school and go to the open night, okay? So as you know, in Ireland, if you're going to send your, your son or daughter to a secondary school, usually there's an open night. You go walk around, meet the teacher, see the classrooms, all that kind of vibe. And if you like it, then you apply, and then you do like an, like an open day exam, right? Where you sit and do all these exams. And based off your exam results, they determine what class, what level of education you're going to get for the rest of your life. Pretty significant moment, Right? Well, my parents said, oh, we got a letter in the post to say the open night's coming up. So, grand, no problem, can't wait to go see the school. I think I was playing rugby or something, got changed, went down to the school, get there. All of a sudden, my parents are told, you can't come any further. And they're like, why? And it's like, we thought this was an open night. I said, no, this is exam night. And I'm like, no. And they're like, what do we do? And it's like, well, if you don't sit the exam now, you may not be guaranteed a place. So my parents, being good parents, just kicked me into the room and said goodbye. And I'm like, I have no pencil, I've got no rubber, I've got no nothing. And they're like, we'll sort it out of you. So all of a sudden, I find myself sitting down, doing an exam I wasn't prepared for that was going to determine the future of my education for the rest of my life. And I failed miserably, to be honest. I ended up in the lowest level of class for the first three-year cycle of the junior cert. Listen, I'll be very honest. I was the guy, you know, if, you, if you're raising hand, I failed past maths, everybody. Now, you have to agree with me. You have to be a very special kind of talented to fail. If you get, if you get your name right on the exam, you pass. You know what I'm saying? That's how bad it was. But the point is this. It taught me a valuable lesson about the importance of preparation. And we can't allow our preparation to be someone else's responsibility. Our preparation is our responsibility. And when I say preparation, what I'm talking about isn't like some like, you know, 30,000 word dissertation. I'm just saying we need a simple plan, not a speech, but a map. 
Not a biography, but a story. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't need to be letter-bound and have 400 pages in it. It can be simple and it can be shared in a couple of minutes. But what we need is a plan for how we're going to share our story. A great example of this found in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 26. And we're going to see some of the overlaps from the first three messages because we're told that after Paul left, a Jew named Apollos, who is from uh, Alexandria, which is like a city in northern Egypt, came to the city of Ephesus. Remember back in week one, we opened up uh, Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to a guy called Timothy, who was the pastor in Ephesus. So this guy called Apollos, who's from Alexandria, is in Ephesus. We're told he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor, notice this, and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, meaning, uh, you know, before, before Jesus rose from dead, many people had what was called a baptism of repentance. I want to follow Jesus. I want, to, I want the whole world to know that my faith is in Jesus. That's called, or was known in the first century as the baptism of John. Which, by the way, if you're here and watch online and you want to be baptized, we are doing baptisms on Easter Sunday. So if you're someone who's saying, I follow Jesus, I want the whole world to know my faith in Jesus, then please talk to the Next Steps team after service. In verse 26, he began to speak boldly, keyword, in a synagogue, which again, it was like a Jewish church, when Priscilla and Aquila, so this is Priscilla from last week and her husband Aquila, heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now understand this. Apollos was a passionate guy, he was an informed guy, he was an instructed guy, he was a knowledgeable guy, but he wasn't a perfect guy. And here's the point. We don't have to be perfect to be effective in a witness. We don't have to have perfect, we don't have to have perfect, uh, a perfect life or a perfect theology to be an effective witness. We have to be prepared. Prepared. So what does being prepared like Apollos look like? Well, uh, being prepared like Apollos looks like this. Number one, we're told that he was informed. He was informed. Now, he had a thorough understanding of the scripture. That's good. Having a thorough understanding of God's word is a good thing for our life. You know why? Because God's word is packed with hope and wisdom and grace. And the things that very often we're looking for in everything else, we can find in God's word. And the most amazing thing happens when we, when we make it a priority. To, and it can be like for, for five minutes in the morning, but we make it a priority to start our day with God's word. Usually, the, this is so crazy, the Holy Spirit will lead us to a place to read something. And we're sitting there, and if you're like me and you have a, you have a beard, like, hmm, interesting, hmm, interesting. Okay? And then you're like, oh, this is so cool. I wonder what this is about. And then six hours later, the very thing you're reading about is happening in your life. And if you're like me, you're kind of dealing with the problem, you're banging your head off it, and all of a sudden you go, I read about this this morning. Oh, hang on, God was speaking to me. God is actually trying to help me in my daily. It's amazing. But the point is, you don't have to have a thorough knowledge to be effective. You just need some knowledge. And knowledge isn't being an expert. Knowledge is just having information in your brain, right? The knowledge that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Timothy who lived in Ephesus, that's, that you have that knowledge now. What did you do? You just listen to me. I mean, it's not that hard, okay, to be informed, but it does take commitment. It does take preparation. Apollos were told was informed. Number two, he was also inspired. He was in the Word, but the Word was in him. 
He, he was reading it, not religiously, okay, not to pass a test. He was seeking God. And when we read God's word and we seek him in that way, we're in the word and the word gets in us. And when the word gets in us, all of a sudden things change. Because when the Holy Spirit is alive in your heart, you can't help but feel the presence of God. I told you guys before that growing up, I was not the extrovert. I was not the loud person in class. I was never class president, public speaker, on the debating committee. That wasn't me. I was the quiet person. And you're going, what? You're up there screaming and sweating and spitting? Yes. You know why? I'm inspired. Because God has changed my life. And I want God to change everyone's life. And I'm convinced this is my bias and I don't apologize for it. Our lives, our nation, and our world would be better if people allowed God to work in and through them more. Not religion, not what we've seen in the past, masquerading as God, but an actual personal relationship with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is merciful. Jesus is kind. Jesus is generous. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is loving. Can you imagine a society? Can you imagine a world where people are like Jesus? They're kind, generous, loving, forgiving, serving. Our world would be better. I want everyone to know Jesus. See, when we get in the Word, it's good for knowledge. But when the Word gets in us, it inspires us. Inspires us, and then we become inspiration. Not because we're loud or, or dynamic, or I'm not talking about a personality thing. Because I know lots of people that are still very introverted and quiet, but they're massively inspirational because it's in them. And when the talk comes out of them, so Paulus was prepared because he's informed, he was inspired. And number three, he was in line because we're told that he taught about Jesus accurately. Now again, I won't, I won't camp here very long, but there is a sense in where when we are going to say things, let's not, let's not wander into parts of our faith the theology that we don't understand. There's too much junk on YouTube. Honestly, YouTube was better when people who like cats owned it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when YouTube was good for how to fix my tumble dryer and I like cats, that was it. Like now it's just absolutely overtaken by all these, God bless them, Egypts uh, talking nonsense. And it's not helpful. Because they're operating in space that's not accurate according to the whole context and canon of Scripture. So Paulus knew his grace zone. He was in the Word. The Word was in, in him. And everything that he taught was accurate according to Jesus. Now, we don't have to be experts, people, to do this. Yeah. You can pick up your, your Bible tomorrow and be informed. Allow God to inspire you. And as long as what you're reading is in line, it's perfect. And God will use it. Now, we don't think about witnessing in, in terms of success because success, we usually use that word when it comes to like endeavors or projects or business. But I think it's fair to say that we have a desire to be successful in our communication and explanation of Jesus to the world, right? Well, I was at one famous IndyCar racer, Bobby Unser, who recently passed away, fortunately, who said, success is where preparation and opportunity meet. If we're going to be successful witnesses, God will open the opportunity. We don't have to worry about the opportunity. All we have to focus on is being prepared. Not a speech, not a thesis, but just our story. And if we can be informed, inspired, in line, God will use our story with many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Number two, personalization. But with that story, it can't just be like a history lesson, right? Nobody's inspired or moved by a history lesson. It has to be personal. Why? Because people may argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your story. You know why? Because it's your story. And because it's true. Like, no one can take away the fact that 
almost 20 years ago in a hotel room in Heidelberg, Germany, this fella who didn't even believe in God called out to a God I didn't even believe existed and very inconvenient to me in my theology, the God I didn't believe existed answered my prayer and changed my life. And from that day to this day, it's still changing my life. Nobody can take that away from me. Now, I may not know everything with the Bible and Scripture and theology. People may be more intelligent than me, more learned than me, more knowledgeable than me, but they can't take away my story. You see, your story is personal. It's yours. And because it's yours, it's real. And this isn't just for the lower classes or echelons of Christianity. It's even applied to like the great apostle Paul. Look with me in Acts 22. This is the Apostle Paul speaking before like a council. He's almost like in a trial, if you want to put it that way. And um, he, he, he starts off by explaining the good news with his story. Verse 1, brothers and fathers. Like, look at that intimate language. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, Aramaic was the spoken language of the Jews in the first century, they became very quiet. He was speaking their language. It's like yesterday I was... And most of you know I'm, I'm from a town called Carlo uh, in the sunny southeast. And yesterday my son was playing in a semi-final down there. So I spoke at a conference yesterday in the morning in Newbridge. Went to my son's game in the afternoon. And my father also turned 60 today. Happy birthday, Dad. And so, yeah. Oh, come on. You better not. My father's birthday. Respect, respect the family, everybody. Come on. And uh, we're going to have a big party in a couple weeks' time. But we just wanted to pop by and surprise him uh, with a, a present. And it's so funny because whenever I go home, I don't speak like someone from Carlo anymore, okay? Uh, I kind of lost that. Not intentionally, I just did. But whenever I go get home and get around people from Carlo, all of a sudden, I start talking like one of the fellas from Carlo. Carlo. You know, Carla, as you say. And it's like, it's almost like, oh, yeah, like, this is my language. Like, these are my people. This is where I'm from. And the Apostle Paul, as he's speaking to his people, he speaks in a language, understand, they become quiet. He says, listen, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, which is a city in the province of Sicilia, which is modern-day Turkey. I was brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied, studied under Gamaliel, who was like a, like a, if you want to call it, like a really well-renowned scholar, professor in theology, Jewish theology, and was thoroughly trained in the law that is the Old Testament of our ancestors. I was just as zealous, zealous means passionate, or, 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 or committed uh, for God as any of you are today. So identification, like I am one of you. Like I, I, I'm, from, I'm from this place, right? Verse 4, I persecuted the followers of this way, that is Christians. They were called, it was called the way before it was called Christianity. To their death. So Paul's on trial because he's a Christ follower. But Paul said, listen, that's not my full story. How I started off was, I was I'm like you and I was one of you to the point where I was so against Jesus and so anti-following him that I would find and persecute any of his followers to the point of killing them. Arresting both men and women, showing no mercy, and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. So again, very important point. The people who knew Saul, as he was called, were there on that day. Like they were there and they could, you're right there. You know what I was like. Just like me going home to my friend and saying, listen, you want to know the truth of who I was? Talk to this person or this person. I'm not making this stuff up. They're alive and they're here. They're witnesses to my story. And so Paul continues, I even obtained letters from them uh, to their associates in Damascus, which was another city about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Again, we talked about 
Paul's story back on week two. The point is, is that he wasn't just like passively, like I'm not a Christian, like he was aggressively against the church. And on his way to Damascus about noon, he, you know, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, that was his name before he became a Jesus follower. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Which is a great question, by the way. Who are you, Lord? I, I feel like the whole, the whole the, the life hinges on the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Because if, like I thought he was, he's just some crazy lunatic madman who starred in another religion, well, then all of this is kind of pointless, right? And, and if you're watching or you're in the room, you're a skeptic or not Christ, you're right, well done. But if you're wrong, and Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God and Savior of the world, that changes things, doesn't it? To which Jesus answers, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Again, you can read in 22 the whole story of Paul sharing his story. And what we see is that when Paul was put on a pedestal, when Paul was put on trial, when Paul was asked to give a, a defense, a, a rational explanation for what he believed, we see Paul's methodology, his method, his approach, his strategy come into play. And that was this. He started and he continued and he ended in a very personal way. So what does it look like to be personal like Paul? Well, number one, he, told, he, he shared his life before Christ. Like, guys, here's my background. Here's where, where I was. Not just on a superficial level, like I worked in this place and lived in this place, but here's what I was dealing with in a profoundly emotional, spiritual, and mental level. And then, number two, here's the moment I met Christ. And maybe for you, like Rebecca said last week, it wasn't some power-packed transformation moment on some holy mountain in some part of the world. Maybe you were just a child who were just raised by parents who love God, and one day in kids' church, you just said, I want to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's your story. It's personal, and it's real, and it works. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sharing it. So it's kind of like a before Christ. It doesn't have to be like full of fireworks and just be your story, meeting Christ, and then life with Christ. Because ultimately, guys, as I said before, the world out there, maybe you're watching online or, or, online or here in the room, the people who don't follow Jesus aren't wondering anymore, is God real? Is the Bible true? People aren't asking those questions anymore. People are asking the question, even if the Bible was real, and even if Jesus is alive, so what? Like, how can it help me now? How can it help me in my life that is broken and confused and disoriented? I mean, how can it help me where I am? And people want to see in us, not perfection, not a great Christian performance, but they want to see the power of the person that we claim to worship. And what's so interesting is, is the power of the person we claim to worship isn't evident in our perfection. I mean, mercy, what, what need is there for mercy if we're perfect? It's because we're imperfect. It's because we fall and we fail and we screw up that people through our humanity see Jesus. And I think one of the greatest testimonies, one of the greatest um, demonstrations of our faith isn't the fact that we fall because we will and do fall, but it's our choice to take responsibility to use a biblical term, to repent, which means to turn away from what we're doing, and once again choose to follow Jesus, people look and go, wow, I mean, that's real. And there's something in that that I want. People are looking for a personal story. What's, what, does, what is Jesus doing in your life right now that should make me want to hear about him? 
I don't know about you, but if you poke me in that way, I, I'll, I'll, I will have your ear for an hour. You have no idea how much Jesus helps me. And if I could talk for an hour, my wife will talk for two because she knows the truth of who I am. You understand what I'm saying? We need Jesus. And, there, and, there, and there's a, a balance of how we to, you know, grow and follow Christ and, and, and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as the scripture says. But we also need to manage the fact that we can't fall into the trap of making Christianity about us because it's not. It's about Christ and Christ in us. So the point being, we may not have to tell people the whole story. We just need to tell people our story. So we've got to be prepared, make a plan. We've got to make a person. Number three, we've got to share it with passion. Come on, somebody. We've got to share it with passion. Like as I was standing on the sidelines of my son's game yesterday, I mean, I wasn't sure if the kids were playing against Jitter or the parents were playing against Jitter. with me? Because let me tell you something, there was a lot of passion going on on the sidelines. In fact, I got there about five minutes late from the conference and I arrived and I'm trying to see if my, where my son is, and I go over that side, and, and my, all of a sudden my dad came over as well, and my, and, and my brothers, so we're all there, and my dad, as you all know, has a very, you think his beard is good, but dad's got a very long beard, okay, and as he arrived, one of the parents on the other side said, hey, did you hear ZZ Topper do union? Because he's like, is he talking to me? I'm like, well, you're the only one here with like a four-foot beard, dad, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm pretty sure it's you, and, uh, and so straight away it was like, okay, we're at war here, I mean, Boom and all stuff and, and it was really cool because uh, the, uh, my son's team were down 20 nil at halftime, 20 nil away in the semi-final. Like game over, right? Man, those kids bounced back and they just poured their heart and soul. They brought the game back and it finished at a draw, 27 all. It was incredible. We were screaming. We were crying. We were all sorts of things. The point is this. When you talk about something that matters to you, you can't talk about a void of passion. It's impossible. Maybe your passion's cooking or hiking or camping, your kids, your career, technology, politics, whatever it is, if it matters to you, it's going to come out with passion. Well, if you're a Christ follower, I'd like to think the most valuable, most significant part of your life is your relationship with Jesus. I don't say you have to change your personality. You can be quietly passionate. You can be loudly passionate. The point is, it's passion. It's passion. What is passion? Passion is strong feelings based on deep convictions. Passion doesn't have to be loud. All the introverts inwardly say amen. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't have to be loud. But it is real. And it's felt. And it comes from a place of deep conviction. They might push back and say, well, what if sharing the good news? What if sharing the gospel is not my passion? Like some of you who are raised in church might use the language of, I'm not called to be an evangelist, which an evangelist is a, is a, is a Christian term to describe those who are called or really good at sharing the, the faith story. You might say, it's not, it's not my passion. Well, please understand that even though you may not feel like sharing the story of the gospel is not your passion, maybe you're not called to be a preacher or preaching isn't your passion. The point is, preaching is not our passion. People are our passion. The reason why I like preaching is because I love people. And I discovered a very effective way of helping people is through preaching. Preaching isn't the goal. Preaching is the tool we use to help people experience the goal. And so as uh, Mike Rowe, the kind of, uh, he's a TED speaker. He's also a, a, on Scrooge Channel all the time. He said, you don't follow your passion. The world says follow your passion. No, no. He says, don't follow your passion. You take it with you. 
You take it with you. So if I'm passionate about people and the need is we need help serving kids, I'm going to go help kids. It was helping welcome people. It was helping with the Ukraine thing. Wherever it is, I don't have to have a passion for a thing because when my passion is God and my passion is people, whatever I'm doing becomes passionate to me. And as we get a grip or get a grasp or get a perspective of what Jesus asked us to do, all of a sudden we realize that it's not following my passion, that's not my calling. It's I'm passionate about God and God is passionate about people. Another example, this is found in Acts 4, verse 13. This is the uh, Apostle Peter and John, again before a council. These guys are always in trouble, okay? And they've been asked again to explain why they did what they did and why they believe what they believe. And after they kind of shared the reasons for why they did what they did and why they believed what they believed, the uh, council, people interrogate them, said, or, or, or this is said about them, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, watch, they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's almost like their, their ordinariness and their unschooledness and their lack of everything else was overtaken by the fact that they had a courage came or was manifest or produced by the fact that they had been with Jesus. So how can we be passionate like Peter? What's the example? Well, number one, we're told Peter had courage. You think, oh, I'm not a courageous person. Listen to me. There is no such thing as courageous people because courage isn't living, you know, as if fear doesn't exist. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is seeing, realizing, accepting fear and choosing to go anyway. Choosing to speak anyway. Choosing to serve anyway. Courage sees fear. Courage acknowledges fear, but just goes anyway. So there's a sense in where every single one of us can be courageous. Because whatever it is that we're afraid of, we, if we will just trust God and step out, it may not be some loud, you know, global scale example like the, the incredibly brave people of Ukraine making a stand for their freedom and their nationhood. But nonetheless, sometimes just obeying the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit and going and helping someone, offering uh, money to help someone, praying for someone, I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, that moment can be an incredibly courageous moment. The other thing we see is that they were unschooled. Like, they didn't have a, a, a formal education to speak of. They weren't, uh, in, in many ways, by the world standards, adequate or trained or able. And they were ordinary men, which I love this. Why? Because they were just like you and just like me. Scripture isn't based on all these hyper-spiritual, crazy, anointed, appointed, super-Christian people. Scripture is built on the love, service, preaching and sacrifice of ordinary men and women who were courageous. And like them, you and I, we can be courageous too. But that came from this idea that they were with Jesus. Because when you're with Jesus, what Jesus is passionate about becomes your passion. And Jesus is passionate about people. So I don't care for preach. I don't care for the, the tools. They all serve a purpose. The purpose is always people. So they were prepared. They were personal. They were passionate. Fourth and finally, Prayer. And this is, I want to finish this because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to finish today's message. I want to pray over you. Because, you know, sometimes we, we underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer has power. Prayer has power. I'll say it again. Prayer has power. 
Prayer has power for many things. One of the things prayer has power to do is prayer has power to change us. Sometimes you think, oh, how am I going to grow? How am I going to change? By praying to God and asking for his help, the power of prayer. And isn't that the, the, this is where we kind of lose the wheels here in Ireland. It isn't that the prayer itself has power. It's the one we pray to who has power. It's the fact that we're praying to God, who is above all things, before all things, and the end will still be there, that we have access to a power that's supernatural. And sometimes we're dealing with very natural, very ordinary things, and we need help. And God has given us the incredible gift of prayer to help change us. It was uh, Richard Ward, a Franciscan uh, author and speaker, said, Prayer is not about changing God but being willing to allow God to change us. Prayer is power to change us, but prayer is also power to change the world. Make no mistake, we, not, we may not be in the Ukraine right now, practically speaking, but our prayers are making a difference. Our prayers can go places and accomplish things and touch people in a way that we never can. Because prayer is predicating the person of Jesus. Prayer isn't about us. Our power, our ability, it's about God. And when we pray for people, when we pray for situations, when we pray in faith, even though things seem like they're impossible, the God of the impossible makes all things possible. Our final text today is taken from Acts chapter 28. It's the Apostle Paul. He's on his way to Rome. He feels compelled by God to go there. It's really cool because in, 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 a, in this kind of chapter, he stops at a city called Syracuse on the island of Sicily. And I was actually speaking there seven days ago. I actually was at the spot where the Apostle Paul landed for three days. It was surreal. And after that, or before that, I can't remember the order, he goes to the island of Malta. And when he gets to the island of Malta, we're told there was an estate nearby. It belonged to this guy called uh, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, showed us generous hospitality for two days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Dysentery was a terrible illness. Actually, it was one of the primary killers of human beings for most of history. It was like a very lethal concoction of like dehydration, diarrhea that killed millions of people. So it was really bad and very dangerous. And we're told that Paul went in to see him. So Paul sees this guy's dad who's sick and obviously dying. And Paul does three things. After praying, he placed his hands on him and God healed him. When, he had, when, when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Now again, this is the moment where I'm going to lose some of you. Because like, what? You're telling me that Paul prayed and God healed people? Yes. Well, I don't, I don't believe that happens. That's okay. But it does. And I, and I can't tell you how many times people who didn't believe in God or didn't believe God could heal them were open to prayer. And the God they didn't believe in and the healing they didn't think was available happened anyway. I mean, how great is it to know that our, our, God's graciousness to us is not based on our belief in Him. He is good anyway. He is kind anyway. He is generous anyway. And so what, it, what, what does it look like to be prayed for like Paul? Well, number one, Paul reached up. The first thing we should do when we find ourselves stuck or challenged or not knowing what to do, maybe you're in a moment when you know that God is leading you to share your story, you're panicking, going, oh my gosh, what do I say? The first thing you should do is reach up to God and say, God, give me the words. Give me the courage. Give me the clarity. Give me the succinctness if you're long-winded. I mean, just, just give me whatever, just help me in this moment. Secondly, Paul reached out. 
He didn't just keep reaching up, God, God, do something. Paul, Paul took a step of faith and Paul reached out. And there's a point where for every single one of us in this room online who are Christ followers, we can't just pray. It's not enough just to pray for people. We have to speak to them. I mean, your colleagues in work, your classmates in college, your friends at football practice, like someone needs to speak to them. Yes, pray for them, but also speak to them. Paul, yes, he reached up and asked God for help, but Paul also reached out. What happens in our world when we reach up and we reach out? We're told that God reaches down. God always honors prayer. God always honors prayer. It may not be in our timeline, It may not be in the way that we thought it would work out. It usually goes above and beyond anything we could even expect anyway. But the point is, I've never seen God forsake the prayer of his people. God always is faithful to prayer. Paul reached up, Paul reached out, and God reached down. We want to be a church lighthouse in Ireland that prays and believes that what we're praying for actually happens. We have faith that God, I mean, if you can believe that God raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, you have no problem for believing God to heal someone or change something or do something because he is God. But that also needs to be coupled with the martyr, a practical reaching out, helping the world that we live in. And when we as the church are reaching up and reaching out, we're told that God reaches down. And that is the game changer. Because when God's hand is on it, when God's in it, when God's over it, when God's around it, I'm telling you right now, all things are possible. I don't say that as someone who's trained or paid. I say that as a witness. For so many years, in so many ways, I've, I can tell you hundreds of stories of how God supernaturally showed up in ways that blew my mind and did things that only God could do. And he's the same God that he can do it for you. So, as we conclude, how do we say our story? Well, we have obstacles. We feel inadequate. We feel like we're untrained, we feel like we're unable. God doesn't need us to be professionals. God needs us to be available. Say it with me, God needs to be available. And if we're prepared, and if we can make it personal, and if we can share with passion, and if we can cover with prayer, then I believe people may not accept our story, they may not like our story, they may not agree with our story, but they'll listen to it. Because in it will be the truth of what God has done in us. Hey, we are so grateful that you could join us today. We really hope and pray that you were encouraged, that you feel blessed by this message. And you know, it would really help us if you could click the like button and also subscribe to our channel because we want to get this message across Ireland and the world and that would really, really help us. So please go and do that. Um, and also to let you know that you can watch and listen to previous messages and find out a whole bunch of stuff on our website, Lighthouse Church. And something else that's really cool, Jake. Tell us about something our else. Today. Yes, guys, we have a brand spanking new Lighthouse Church app. Yeah. So make sure to go download it on our website, or you can download it via the app stores. And there's a lot of cool things in there. You can rewatch previous messages, and there's also some downloadable content for you guys. So make sure to download the Lighthouse Church app. And there's also the Good Old Fashioned Bible on it. Bible is important. So, and you know what? Even better than this experience today that we've had 
is church in person. It's just so good. We meet every Sunday morning in Navin and in Dublin. You can find out all the information on our website, uh, but it's at 11 a.m. every Sunday in person, and we have the best time. So come join us. Uh, we would love to have you with us. So we'll see you next week for Lighthouse Church Online, 7 p.m. Yes. right here. And also, don't forget to follow our social media handles, lighthousechurch.ie. So we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.